get to be your children, that in our repentance of our sin and our choosing of you and believing in you, that we get to have eternity with you in the new heaven and new earth. We are your children. So God, I ask today as we continue to learn about what it is to love our neighbors and who are our neighbors and who are these people around us, that you would soften our hearts and help us learn and know who that is. So God, we do love you. We thank you for today. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm trying to put myself in your place this morning that you rolled over when the alarm went off and you heard it raining outside. And you're like, man, how great would it be just to roll back over and pull the covers over and, and say, you know what, I can listen to that message or I can turn on the TV later. So kudos to you for being here. Second thing is you, you did all that effort of getting here and then you walked in and the chair that you normally sit in has been moved slightly or there's not a chair where there used to be a chair. And so threw you for a little bit of a loop. I know how that is with some people. Then on top of that, Pastor Peter says during his announcements, well, I'm not teaching today. Pastor Jeff is uh, speaking today. And you're like, what? What? I mean, could it get any worse? I don't. So, and I know you don't feel that way. I'm just saying, I'm trying to put myself in your spot and under, you know, when, when things change, it can be, it can, it can throw us for a loop sometimes. But we're going to have a great time this morning. We're in week number two of this Everybody Always series. And last week, uh, Peter uh, launched into this, reminding us uh, what it means when, when God tells us in the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that's what we're looking at. And so as I was thinking about this uh, uh, idea over the last uh, couple weeks, it occurred to me that there's some people out here and, and standing up here this morning that are list makers. Do I have any list makers that either at work or at home or you make a list and it's helpful for you to follow that list. You write it down. If you're like me, I'll write something on my list that I've already accomplished so I can check it off. And I know that I'm, so I'm working through my list. If I'm going on vacation, I will make a list of, hey, these are the things I want to see, the places I, I want to go, the, the attractions I want to see. We, we make, we, some of us, others of us are not list makers. And I know that there are, there are those out there as well. They can be helpful and they can be irritating. And so a helpful list, like if I'm going shopping, it's important to have a list. I mean, I've left the house and I've told myself and told Kristen that no problem, I'll remember. And then I get, you know, halfway through the store and I, and I inevitably, I, I, I miss something. So lists are helpful uh, when we're shopping. And I will say this, when I get onto an airplane and, I want, and I'm flying someplace, I am counting on the fact that that pilot has done his pre-trip check. He has gone through that list. I, I'm counting on that. That is a good, helpful List, And so there are times when I, I absolutely want lists to be followed and, and, I want to, and I want us to go through those. There are other times that they're irritating. And maybe you live with somebody that overschedules or uh, is tied too tightly to their list. And maybe you're on vacation, uh, as an example, and they have overscheduled. So I want you to see this briefly. This is what can happen when you're overscheduled on your vacation. Oh, 
Come on, kids, get your butts in the car. Go. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? All right, so some of you have been on vacation with somebody like that. that, uh, Hey, I've got this on the schedule. We'll look at it for three seconds, and then we're on our way to the next thing. So lists can be helpful. Lists lists can be irritating. And as we consider this idea of loving others, uh, I believe this is one of the things that, if we're not careful, we can create a feeling with people that we are trying to extend love to, and it can feel like, they're on our list and they're just a box that I'm checking and I'm doing this because I, I feel obligated to do it. We can create that feeling. If we, if we are working off of loving others as just something that's on my list of things that I do because I call myself a Christian, it's, it's a problem. And, and Peter made that distinction last week. He was talking about the idea that love should flow out of us. It's not something that we do to check a a box on our list, but that God has so impacted and changed my life that it just flows out of me. How I respond to people, how I treat people, it just flows out of me. And that's what we're pushing for. We We want it to be something that really transforms who we are. And so he mentioned last week that we are working out of a book by a gentleman by the name of Bob Goff with this title, Everybody Always. And we're answering this question this month. How can we best love our neighbors? And he makes an interesting uh, distinction. And I believe there's a biblical principle behind this distinction. But within, within his writing, he says that much of our, and throughout much of our life, we are told that there are certain things that we, we should want. That as Christians, we, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't drink, we shouldn't cuss. There's certain movies we shouldn't watch. Uh, we are told that every morning we should have our quiet time, uh, that we should uh, share Jesus with complete strangers, that we should uh, go on mission trips, that we should witness to our friends. And sometimes we do this because we feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know why I'm doing it. I just know that I've been told this is what, if I'm a Christian, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so while it looks like faith, it, it, it appears very faithful and very Christian, it can be missing any, any of the power that's behind it because I'm doing it simply because I feel obligated to do it. I'm... Hey, we're going to believe that there's a reason why that happened here in a second. All right, so I've been there. I have, I have found myself falling into line because I'm thinking I, I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do rather than it genuinely flowing out of, of who God and what God is doing in my life. And so you may have heard this distinction. I have, I have heard uh, pastors preach this before, this idea that uh, when, we, when we compare Christianity to other world religions— They'll compare it in this way. They'll say Christianity is done, while other world religions would say it's, their religion is something that you do. It's do versus done. That uh, the idea that it's, I, I am the, the, the ultimate way that I express my faith is by doing different things. Creating a list, becoming proficient in my faith, doing, uh, becoming as righteous and as good as I can uh, become it's something that I do in my own strength in my own ability while Christianity would say quite the opposite of that 
My Christianity tells me, and I recognize my inability to do what is right, to be righteous in my own, my own strength. And so God sent Jesus to live, to die, to rise again, so that I could become righteousness in him. That's what the Bible says. So Christianity, it's done. It's not something I do. It's something that is done. And so as we think about that, I want us to understand when we talk about loving others and trying to love our neighbors, we want it to flow out of the fact that this is something that God has done in my heart and in my life. And so I want to share with you a quote from uh, Mr. Goff himself. He says this. He says, instead of telling people what they want, we need to tell them who they are. This works every time. We will become in our lives whoever the people we love the most say that we are. And so as we kind of grasp that a little bit and go into that a little bit deeper, I want to propose, and I believe it's true, that there's a biblical principle here. And the biblical principle says this. Telling people what they should want is a distraction the devil uses to keep us from knowing who we really are. Hear that again. Telling people what they should want is a distraction the devil uses to keep them, to keep us from knowing who we really are. So let's look at this. I, 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 it's great that I think it's a biblical principle. I want to back it up with some biblical understanding. So telling people what they want. That, I, I believe if you read through Scripture and as you understand the Bible more and more, and some of you come uh, today with maybe a pretty good understanding of the Bible, some of you maybe not so much, but I believe the more you understand the biblical narrative, you're going to see this principle on display. So let me start at the very beginning. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are told by the devil when, they're, when they are looking at that tree that God told them not to eat of, the serpent says to them, my paraphrase, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he knows that when you eat it, you will know, you will have the knowledge of good and evil. You will become like God, basically. And so Adam and Eve looked at that and they said, hey, that sounds pretty good. The serpent's telling them what they should want. You should want to be like God. And so they give in and they give in to the, their desires, to their desire to, uh, to, to follow through what they are told they should want in their lives. Further on through the Old Testament, King David, in 2 Samuel 24, He's at the end of his reign as king. He's done great things with the, the people of Israel. And he decides to count his army. So he sends his leader out to take a census of his army. Now, why would he do that? Why would David decide all of a sudden he wanted to count his army? Well, he wanted to assess the strength of his army. He wanted to know how strong and powerful he was. This decision was driven by pride. It was driven by the pursuit of his personal power and glory rather than a reliance on God. He decided that I want to know how much power I have. And so as a result, if you look at the story, 2 Samuel 24, it cost him 70,000 men because of his disobedience and his desire to follow through on what he believed he should want. 
Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, has an encounter out in the desert. And he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. As part of that temptation, the devil tells Jesus, he takes him up on a high mountain and says, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, you know what? You can have all of this if you will bow down and worship me. In other words, this power that you want, you can have it. This is what you should want. This is what you should want. And Jesus was able to resist that temptation. But the principle is the same. Satan is using the desires, this list of things that we should want in our life to keep us from really understanding who we are. So we we have this understanding of telling people what they want versus telling people who they really are. So let's look at this real quickly as well. Because this principle is on display throughout the Bible as well. Just as the first telling people what they want is on display, this is as well. If you look in Genesis, Abraham would be the first one that came to my mind. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham actually gets his name changed by God. He was born Abram. The name Abram means exalted father. But in Genesis 17, God has an encounter, or Abraham has an encounter with God, and his name gets changed to Abraham, which means father of many. God is telling Abraham, you are, this is who you are. You will be the father of many. And of course, that's what happens. He becomes the father of the nation of Israel. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses. He's fleed out of Egypt, and God wants Moses to go back. And he says, I am sending you, Moses. I am sending you to do what I want you to do. God's calling him to that. One of my favorites is in Judges chapter 6. There's a gentleman by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is hiding because the Midianites have invaded, are invading their land. He's hiding from them. And God, through an angel, comes to Gideon and says to him, Greetings, mighty warrior. Here's a man hiding from the evil, from the threat around him, and yet God comes to him and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. God's telling Gideon who he is, not who he feels like he is, not who Gideon knows himself to be, but God is telling Gideon, this is who you are. Greetings, mighty, mighty warrior. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Again, God telling Mary who she is. Peter, when he's writing to, the, to Christians that are scattered throughout the world because of the persecution in their life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says to these folks, you are chosen by God. This is God's pattern. God's pattern is to tell us who we are. We need to understand who we are. So we've got this contrast. We've got people being told what they want. This is what I should want versus God telling us who we are. We have to understand this distinction. So this morning, I want us to look at one more example of this on display for us. And it's in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. It'll be on the screen for you as well. But this is another example of an encounter that Peter had 
with Jesus. And we're going to see some exchange of names back and forth here. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. This is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's look at this passage a little bit more closely. There are a lot of names, name calling going on here. A lot of name calling. Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? And Peter responds for the group around them, well, they're saying all sorts of things about you. They think that you're John the Baptist. Come back to life. They think that you're Elijah. So there was, there was things happening. There was people in the area that were beginning to talk. They were... They had come up with their opinion about who Jesus was. And so they're circulating that. And these ideas are circulating about who Jesus could be. And so Jesus says, well, what about you? Peter, certainly you have an opinion about this. What do you say about me? And Peter says, well, I believe you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. And so as we look at this exchange, I want us to note the difference between what people are saying about who they thought Jesus was and who he actually was. They had an opinion, but who Jesus actually was, was the Son of God. It didn't matter what other people thought. They needed to know what was true about Jesus, and Peter understood it. But I think it's important that we understand even about Peter, because it goes on to say that Peter's understanding of Jesus, this was not something that he came up with on his own. Hey, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, this is not your own opinion. This is something that's been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. You've come to understand this supernaturally. And because of that, Peter gets his name changed. Peter went from Simon. He was born Simon, son of Jonah. And his name gets changed to Peter, which means rock. So even that understanding for Peter, of understanding that God, Peter, people may be saying all sorts of things about you, but this is what his Savior, his Messiah is saying about him. You are a rock. So we need to understand what people are saying maybe about us. As we think about being a church, as we think about uh, being Christians, there's a big difference between what the world is saying about you and what God says about you. So I want us to look at that just for a second. What does the world say that you are or say that we are? Here's a partial list of what I believe the world would say about us. The world would say something like, you are what you produce. So if you are at work or you're living out through the world, Whatever you can produce in your ability, and your own strength, that's part of where you get your identity. The world would say, you are the sum of your resources. 
You take your bank account, your retirement account, your home. This is, this is who you are. Your family. You're the sum of your resources. Other people would say that you are what other people say you are. Your reputation is who you are. And so you work hard to have a good reputation and to be well thought of by people. And you care a lot, a lot about what people think about you. The world would say you are what you feel like you are. So if you feel a certain way today or you have this general sense of who you are, go with that. That's who you are. And the last thing I've got on my list is that you are the creator of your own reality. You decide. You decide what's real. You decide what's important. You create your own reality in the world. That's who you are. So I believe it's very, very, very clear that the world has an idea about who we should be. And it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of saying, well, this is how I want to perform then. If this, is, if this is where my value comes from, then this is, I want to measure up to this. And so I, was, I want us to understand that uh, that is not who we are. That is not who you are today. Those aren't necessarily bad things to pursue all the time. But the essence of who you are, that is not who you are. So I want us to answer the question, what does God say? Or who does God say that you are? And so and these are the things I would for sure write down this morning. The first thing I would want you to understand about who God says you are, if you are following him, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if, if I am in Christ, when I come into a relationship with Christ, I am a new creation. The old, whatever's come before is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. God says that you are one of his people. Peter, in his, writing his letter of First uh, Peter, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are the people of God. In Galatians, Paul says, You are no longer a slave, but you are a child of God. We just sung that. It's a beautiful song, and, and I was so glad that Kyle chose that this morning because the truth of that just resounds through the song. I am who God says I am. I'm a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that I am God's workmanship. That I've been created by God. I am his, uh, the word is poetry. I am, I am God's creation, his workmanship, his handiwork. And also in Ephesians, it says that I've been adopted by God into his family. So who does the world say I am? I'm, I'm the sum of what I produce. I'm whoever they say I am. It's, I'm whoever I feel like I am today. I create my own reality, but God says different. God says you're a new creation. You're a child of God. You're my workmanship. I chose you. You're my special possession today. So why is that important? And I really want to land on this this morning. Why is this important? This is important because, uh, or this matters because it's important to know who God says that we are. This identity is important. 
because we often tie ourselves to identities that really don't matter much. They're, they're, they're good things, but ultimately for eternity, they don't matter much. So we need to experience the transformation that comes from knowing Jesus, understanding the, the, the change that God wants to make in my life. And when we do that, it, it, it changes my approach to others and to the world around me. John said this about Jesus in John chapter 1. He said, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this morning, you may be sitting here and you may be saying to yourself, this is all, this is all great. I don't think I understand, Jeff, completely this understanding of really having a relationship with God or knowing who God says I am. Or you might even just say, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know that I understand what it means to be a child of God. And each week as Peter is uh, concluding his messages, he walks us through the ABCs of having a relationship with God. And I wanted to review those this morning because I feel like that's the place it all starts, right? If I'm, if I'm going to understand what it means to be a child of God, I need to understand how I get there. And some of you have, have walked through this already, but some of you may be struggling with really understanding what it means. And so he says this. He says, A, I need to admit, I need to admit that I need God, that I'm broken, that I have sin in my life, and that my sin has separated me from God. It starts with that admission. Secondly, I have to believe who Jesus is, that my righteousness does, does not come through my own ability or my own strength, but it comes through what Jesus did for me, that he came, that he died, that he rose again so that I could have a relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. I could experience the forgiveness of God and have a relationship with him. I have to admit my need for God. I have to believe who Jesus is. And then lastly, I have to choose to follow Jesus in obedience. So I want to pause right here this morning, and I just want us to pray. And so join me as we pray together. Father, as we sit here this morning, we recognize that there are voices all around us that are seeking to distract us from who we really are, voices that are telling us that we are something other than we are, and that, God, we want to hear your voice today. We want to understand completely who you've made us to be. And so, God, my prayer this morning would be, if there's someone sitting out here that is struggling with their identity, that they realize that they've been sucked into what the world tells them about themselves, that they're struggling with their identity to know you, that they would recognize it's as simple as admitting their need for you, believing who Jesus is, and choosing to follow you today. And that when we do that, we become a new creation in you. And then, God, for those of us that have experienced that, we just pause to say thank you for what you've done for us, that my righteousness, our righteousness, our relationship with you is not something that we've generated, it's something you've done in us. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you for your gift. Amen. So this matters because it's important that we know who we are, who God says that we are. But secondly, this matters because we must, absolutely must see people the same way that God sees them. We must see others the same way that God sees them. 
So the verse I referred to a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, listen to what it says. Paul says this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. When we see people like God sees them, we no longer see them strictly as a human being that we see with our eyes. Now grasp this. This is important, I believe, for us. That when we look at the people around us, we experience them physically. Obviously, we see them. I think it's crucial that we understand that they are much more than that. That God has created them as a person that he loves that Jesus died for. And when I understand, when I see people the way God sees them, it's going to fundamentally change how I respond to them. I, can't, I cannot respond to them the same way. And I don't care who it is. I don't care how evil we think that person is. I don't, think, uh, I don't care how unlovable that person is, how irritating that coworker is, or that family member is. That's somebody that God loves, that he created to have a relationship with. And when I understand that, it fundamentally changes how I respond to them. So it's important for me to experience the transformation in my own life that God has brought through Jesus. But this also matters because we need to see people like God sees them. Not only that, we, we need to further understand that God wants to change them. And so however difficult they might be to love, We've got to get our, our glasses on that can see as God sees and can, can imagine a life transformed by a relationship with Jesus. So can you imagine with me the difference that it would make for a church if we would first see people as Jesus did and then love them accordingly? What a difference that would make in how people perceived us even as a church or as followers of Christ. When we love others this way, all of the labels, all of the identities that we put on people, economic, racial, gender, political, national, reputation, relational, those all become insignificant. When we grasp what God wants to do in us or what he has done in us and what he wants to do in these people, the, the other identities become insignificant. When we love others this way, we are loving them the way Jesus loves. And that's what we're shooting for. We want to love our neighbors the way Jesus loves them. Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful for the privilege of having a relationship with you. And we thank you for the platform of our Christian faith and the platform of a church that will launch us out into the world to love our neighbors in a way that is fundamentally different than what they're experiencing from the world. So God, would you give us greater understanding? Would you help us to, first of all, understand the change that you're making in our life, that we would see our own lives transformed as we seek to live in obedience to you? Secondly, God, would you change how we see the people around us? Would, we, would you help us to see them as you see them? And then, God, would you allow us to love them as you would want us to? 
And then, God, we look forward to what that brings as people experience that in their own life. So God, bless us as we go. Help us to love our neighbors as you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's a challenge this morning. Understand who you are, who God says you are. And secondly, I want you to, to love the people around you, see the people around you in the same way that God sees them. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.